Hi, this is Joel Scrivener, pastor of Oaks Church in McKinney, Texas. And I wanted to say thank you so much for listening, sharing, and supporting our podcast. I know that today's message is going to inspire you, challenge you, and empower you to fearlessly follow Jesus like never before. Now, let's check out today's message. Thank you again for being here and being a part of Oaks Church. Uh, we're so excited uh, to spend time with you, and I hope you are enjoying this series. Stronger Than is our theme for the year. That's the, the phrase or the theme God gave us, that with God, you are stronger than anything this life can throw at you, anything the enemy can throw at you. You've got God in your life, the power of God in your life. And uh, so we're talking about relationships specifically and marriage, and today, obviously, uh, parenting. Uh, last week, we talked about how the framework or the picture the prototype for um, for marriage in the Bible, Adam and Eve was the actual prototype for how to have any successful relationship in your life. And I want to encourage you to go back and listen to some of the different messages. Um, I've got a friend next week. You may have heard him once before here. His name's Kevin Brown. Uh, he, I was reading one of his books and the revelation that he had on marriage was so powerful that I said, you have to come and teach this because if you don't, I'm going to steal this content from your book and I will take full credit. So he's actually a member of our church and an incredible teacher. He's got this buttery voice, sounds like like Marvin Gaye or, or Barry White or something, and you just want to listen to him for hours and hours, and he's actually incredibly brilliant. You're going to love it next week. Um, but I'm going to jump right into this today, and we're going to have a, a great time. You know, talking about marriage uh, honestly can be a little intimidating um, because uh, my, my wife and I have been married for uh, 27 and a half years now. Uh, we got married very early, 14, and I'm just joking. Uh, no, we're creeping up on being married more than half of our lives, uh, actually more than half of our lives for real. And, and, and if I could be honest, I've made a lot of mistakes. When you get married young and dumb, um, you make lots of mistakes, um, a lot of mistakes. And I, I'll never forget that those moments where you walk in the door and you say something really stupid and it's your first time to say it, you instantly realize you should never say that ever again. Uh, like, you know, when you've had a stressful day and you come home and you're a young husband and you walk in and the house is a complete disaster and you say, what do you do all day? That's never something you should ever say. I said it one time and I saw the demon. Um, and, and so I, I never said it again. I learned very, very quickly. But um, we're going to study and, and dive into some of the teachings of Solomon. And Solomon has some very unique experiences. Solomon was called the wisest man who ever lived. People literally came from all over the world to sit at his feet and listen to him. And consequently, he was surrounded by lots of different people. And inside of Proverbs or his wise, his book of wise sayings, his book of wisdom, uh, you see all types of things where he talked about people that were fools. He talked about the difference between a wise person and a fool. And some of the things he said about a fool was that their lips entered into contention and their mouth called for blows. Can I tell you that there have been times in my life that my mouth got me in so much trouble and thankfully my wife was not a violent woman because I deserved some blows from time to time. Uh, she's never hit me uh, yet and we're, we're, we're almost on 28 years so I think I'm, I think I'm into the safe zone at this point. Um, well, this, there was that one time, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. Um, but it also says about a fool that, that shame is his legacy. 
He despises wisdom and instruction. And a fool says everything he knows. Sometimes your mouth can get you in so much trouble. But Solomon doesn't only talk about foolish men. He also talked about foolish women. In fact, he said that a foolish woman tears apart her own house with her own hands. In fact, Solomon had a very interesting perspective. The Bible says that he had 300 wives and 700 concubines. That's a thousand women. That's a lot. I can only afford one. Uh, we made two extras, so we have three women in my house. That's all. But, but I'm t- a thousand wives. This guy had a perspective that was a little different. Can you imagine how miserable a thousand women that were in his life? That means he could see three of them a day and only see them once a year. These are not happy women. I don't know about your spouse, but mine doesn't share. She won't even share dessert, let alone time with, I mean, this is a wild. So when Solomon talks about an upset woman, he has a little bit of a different perspective because his is times a thousand. But Solomon said that it's better to live on a roof or in the desert than with a quarrelsome woman. And Solomon would know because he had a thousand of them. He said said that that a quarrelsome woman is like a dripping faucet. You You can get yourself in trouble. I'm not getting any amens. Husbands, you're so wise. Thank you for keeping silent in this moment. This is such good progress you're making right now. But our mouths can get us in so much trouble. I need to switch. Our mouths can get us in so much trouble. This is, there we go. Okay, we'll give that a whirl. And um, it's important that we learn from Solomon. Solomon gave us a picture in Proverbs 31 of an amazing relationship. You know, the Bible is actually full of really bad examples of marriages. There's a lot of destruction. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of uh, brokenness that we see inside of Scripture and inside of marriages. And, And there's not a lot of great examples, honestly. But Solomon paints a picture for us in Proverbs 31 that I believe can give us a tremendous amount of wisdom and we can learn and grow from. Proverbs 31.10 says this, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. Now, interestingly, right off the bat, that word virtuous, in our modern language, we tend to um, equate that to someone that has good morals. They, they have a virtue in their values, but that's not the word used in Hebrew. The word for virtuous literally means valiant in battle. When Solomon was describing a great woman, a virtuous wife, he was speaking of a valiant woman, a powerful woman. Her worth is far more than rubies. The heart of her husband safely trusts her. So he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and willingly works with her hands. She's like 
the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She also rises when it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She considers a field and buys it. From her prophet, she plants a vineyard. Anybody getting tired yet? This is a hard-working woman right here. This is a very industrious woman. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out by night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. She's very generous. She, and yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household is clothed in scarlet. She makes tapestries for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Watch, her husband is known in the city gates when he sits among the elders of the, of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing. That's amazing. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom and on her tongue is the law of kindness. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the city gates. This is a beautiful poetic expression of an incredibly powerful and valiant wife and also the type of husband that fits with that type of woman. Uh, I mentioned earlier that I've made lots of mistakes. I actually originally, when I wrote this message, I, I woke up um, and, and just instantly had inspiration for a message. And I began to write, and the, and the title, my working title was How to Ruin a Relationship. I felt like I had a little more expertise on that. Uh, it, it can be, like I said, intimidating to try to teach people how to do things the right way, but sometimes you learn the right way from doing it the wrong way. And I learned this. I learned that the number one way to ruin a relationship was to be all about me. Selfishness will ruin a great relationship. Uh, I wish I could tell you that I wasn't selfish, especially early on. You know, um, the, the Bible, actually, this is a wild thing, but when, when, when the curse ha happened and, and, and Adam and Eve fell into sin, and we can break that down at some point in time, but it talks about how that's when pain actually entered the childbirth process, that God's original design for childbirth was that it would be painless. But Adam and Eve messed up. And part of the process for childbirth now is that it typically is accompanied with quite a bit of discomfort, so I've heard. But what it also says is that the woman would be saved through childbirth. That there's something about the experience that a woman has raising children that actually creates in her a godliness that can't be created any other way. See, children will make you learn selflessness because kids just don't care about your agenda. They don't care what's on your plate. They don't care what you have planned. They don't care about any of that kind of stuff. Children, and this is how you know that everyone needs a savior because all children are selfish in their nature. 
It's just, and, and don't get me wrong, there's some really, really, really sweet kids, but, but you have to teach children to share. You understand that? They don't want to share. Their nature is to keep. You have to teach them to share, and as you teach them, they can become sweeter and sweeter. But if you're selfish, you can ruin a relationship. If you focus on what you deserve, if you focus on what about me, I heard it said early on that, that if you have one selfless person, you can have a pretty good marriage. If you have two selfish people, you're doomed. Because marriage is not about what you can get. Marriage is about what you can give. Now, I understand there are people in this room, and I want to be sensitive for people that, number one, um, are single and you're not in a season of marriage, but this might be something that helps you prepare for your season of marriage or, or whatever. And I also want to be sensitive that there may be some people that have been married in the past, and now you find yourself in a state of singleness. And I want to encourage you that no matter what you've been through, God has a plan for you. God has love for you. God has his best intention for you. He's got great things in your future. Your best days still lie ahead. I believe that with all my heart that God has incredible things in store for you. And if you've happened to walk through divorce, my heart goes out for you. I do not know what that feels like. I can only imagine that it's close to encountering or feeling a death in your life. And the way you grieve, it has to be uh, incredibly intense because the Bible says that, that two people, when they become married, become one flesh. See, that's the thing about this idea of marriage and understanding the revelation of one flesh is that how you treat your spouse is actually how you treat yourself. And the more selfless you are, and again, remember, all of these, all of these skill sets will translate into any type of relationship in your life. But the more selfless you are, the more you seek to serve, the more you seek to defer and to please, the, the more gratifying your relationship will actually become. But it's something you have to learn. It goes oftentimes against your human nature. Great relationships require two unselfish people. Proverbs 31 verse 11 says, and we just read this a minute ago, the heart of her husband safely trusts her so he will have no lack of gain she does him good and not evil all the days of her life this is a picture of a partnership where there's absolute trust and absolute generosity he fully trusts and what happens as a husband when you fully trust what you're doing is you're actually empowering your spouse to be her most powerful self. And the reward that he reaps is he lacks nothing. The more you empower and trust your spouse, the more you reap a harvest. It says that she does good and not evil for him all the days of her life. This is a beautiful picture of two people that literally live to give and enrich each other. Two selfless people. It's a hard journey because our human nature is to protect our own. 
Our human nature is to get ours. Our human nature is to look out for ourselves. And especially if you've been through some damaging relationships, you can enter in. Jennifer and I were very young. We were 20, uh, I was 21, and and I turned 22 on our honeymoon. She was 23, and, and we were young, and we had a lot of mistakes that we brought into the marriage. We had a lot of baggage. We had a lot of hurts that we brought in. And it was years and years of healing that God brought us on a journey to teach us how to love each other and teach us how to be selfless toward each other, and we're still in the process of learning it. But can I tell you that there was a lot of time that I didn't fully trust or empower my wife to be her full self, and it was because I wasn't secure enough in who I was to empower her to be fully who God had called her to be. God's had to work on me quite a bit. Trust issues will ruin any relationship. If you have trust issues, I need you to understand those are your issues and they're your responsibility. You don't get to project your trust issues on other people and make them pay for it. It's your issue, it's your responsibility and you need to get some help. Go to counseling, go to therapy, get some help because if you don't get help, You will sabotage every great relationship God brings your way. You'll sabotage job relationships. You'll sabotage friendships. Because of your own trust issues, you will be your own worst enemy, and you will push away the people that God has put in your life to be gifts unto you and to bring greatness into your life. You will sabotage on your own accord because of your own self-proclaimed trust issues. And you'll blame it on something else But at the end of the day, it's you. You have to take responsibility for you. Second way to ruin a relationship, focus on the flaws. And scientists say that what you focus on is what you feel. So if you you focus on the flaws, you'll feel all the negatives. If you focus on the flaws, you'll do what we call fault-finding. You'll keep records of wrongs, and you'll remind your spouse or your partner what they've done wrong in the past. See, I don't know if you realize this, but men and women actually have different brains. No, really. Their their brains are made different. The idea that women and men are the same is ridiculous. The idea that a woman can become a man, it's God created men and women very differently. And on a scientific level, even their brains are different. Not just their bone density and their muscle mass and their biochemistry. Their actual brains are designed different by God. God has made the man's brain to have more of what's called gray matter. Gray matter and having specifically more of gray matter is what allows a man to be single-minded and single-focused and he can have all hell breaking loose in other parts of his life, but he can compartmentalize it and focus in to a task at hand and accomplish a task at hand. It's a part of how God made his brain. It's different than a woman's brain. That's why it's... It's actually possible when a woman says, what are you thinking about? And he can honestly say, nothing. Because God made his brain different than yours. 
See, a woman's brain, scientifically, biologically, has more of what's called white matter. White matter is like a super highway in the brain that, that, that signals go crazy fast, and women have the ability to think about lots of different things all at the same time at a different physiological level than a man can. So, so consequently, what happens is anything that's unresolved in her mind can pop up to the surface at any given moment without warning whatsoever. So you can be in the middle of Valentine's dinner and everything's going wonderful and all of a sudden she says, do you remember that time with this? And you're like, what the heck? That was 12 years ago. What are you doing? You're ruining dinner. Why would you possibly bring up something from 12 years ago? Am I in your kitchen, Will? Come on, this stuff happens. It happens. And it's not that there's something wrong with her. It's that God made her mind work differently than a man's mind, and we simply can't comprehend, why would you ever bring that up? And when do I ever get to be forgiven for that? But the reality is, is that anything that's unresolved in a woman's brain can cycle to the top at any given moment without any control of hers whatsoever. She can't help it. It's the white matter in her brain. But what it is, is it's an opportunity for the husband to be loving and recognize, baby, I'm sorry that that's unresolved. What can I do to help that? I, we had things where literally there were, there were issues in our life where Jennifer would bring up, and it would be a decade later or two decades later, we were finally sitting at counseling, and this counselor literally said, this therapist said to us that, Joel, it's unresolved. You have it resolved in your heart and mind, but it's not resolved in her heart and mind. And he helped, this counselor helped us walk through and helped me to, to apologize and to help something heal that had been unresolved for decades. I could have been in a place of just frustration and stubbornness because I thought it was ridiculous because my brain is different than her brain. But in her brain, it made perfect sense. And it's not about judging someone else's brain. It's about loving them for who they are, helping them heal. So because of that, it's helped me learn how to be a little bit more patient because she just has more white matter than I do. And her brain operates differently. And it's not a negative thing on either side, but it's something to learn and appreciate. Next thing is you need to realize you can't control anyone else. You can barely control yourself. How many areas of self-control do you lack in? But we oftentimes try to control the, the other people in our life, and often it's because we can't control ourselves, so we want to project control onto someone else. Some of the people that are the least in control have the most control issues when it comes to other people around them. But you can't control anyone else. In fact, uh, we were in counseling. Our, our first marriage counselor um, is a, still a friend, a friend of this church. Her name is Cheryl Gray. Some of you know her. We were 22 and 23 years old the first time we went to Cheryl. That was 27 years ago, and she still loves us. Can you imagine? And I remember we were having all these issues. We were fighting about all these different things. And, and Cheryl said to us, I'll never forget it. She literally said, what does that even matter? 
The, the, the toilet paper rolls on backwards. Who cares? He left a cup on the sink. Who cares? The toothpaste is squished the wrong way. Who doesn't? It doesn't matter if it bugs you. Fix just you do it different. Why are you making a fight out of this? And then she said this. She said, if you want to have a great relationship, you need to lower your expectations of each other. Lower your expectations. She's like, you're unhappy because you have unrealistic expectations. Did you know that oftentimes, this is, I don't have any scientific data for this, but this is just something I've, I've watched. Men will marry someone who checks enough boxes and they're good enough. Women will marry someone that has great potential and she can go to work on. And she sees the man that he could be one day if she could have her way with him. And this, third, this counselor was like, quit trying to change each other and love each other where you are. Quit keeping record of wrongs. Quit focusing on the flaws. Lower your expectations. Focus on what's good. See, ungratefulness is a cancer that will destroy any relationship. Ungratefulness can destroy relationships between parents. You can focus in on something wrong with your kid and not realize you, you stop looking at how amazing your kid actually is because you're focused on a messy room or you're focused on a, an attention to detail issue or something else and you got an amazing kid living in your house that you're not even grateful for anymore because you're focused on the flaws. Lower your expectations. What if God held you to his level of perfection? You couldn't handle it. Couldn't handle it. So we want mercy from God and judgment for others. We want God to take his time slowly with us, but we want other people to change right now. Number three way to ruin a relationship. Constantly talk about the problems. Constantly talk about the problems. Complain all the time. Be condescending. Criticize. Compare them to someone else. Critique them or correct them publicly. Oh, you want to ruin dinner? You want to ruin date night? See, your words are incredibly powerful. When God, when God made a husband and a wife for each other, when he put, and when I, 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 I use the word partners a lot of times because I'm a partner, I have business partners. And a business partner relationship is, is similar in a lot of ways to a marriage. Um, in fact, I have two friends, incredibly successful uh, business guys, and they, their, their wives joke around and call each other, they're, they're, that's your work wife. Because they're business partnership. They've been partners for years and years and years. And one of the things they do as business partners is they buy partner perks. So their business was doing really, really well. So they bought a corporate Bentley. And they shared it. It was their work wife car. And they would just take turns driving this Bentley. Very unique, very strange. So, but when I say partners, I'm talking about there are partnerships that you'll have in your life. There are best friend relationships that you'll have. 
in your life that need to be treated with a level of respect because that person in your life that God brought to your life, Jennifer and I have friends that have literally been with us through every single low and every single disaster, and they still want to be our friend. They've seen us at our worst. They're partners for life. And, and if we're not careful, we can, we can use our words to criticize and to bicker, and we can sabotage what God has brought into our lives. Proverbs 31, 28 says of this incredibly valiant woman that her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. He praises her. We, we were at dinner, and I, guys, it took me a long time to learn this. It took me a long time. I'm embarrassed how, how, how bad I was at praising my wife for many, many years because we were both selfish, and we both had a lot of flaws, and we were both frustrated, and we were frustrating, and it was hard for us to speak kindly. It was hard for us to, 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 to grab a hold of the principle I'm about to share with you. This is... Solomon, again, in Proverbs 18, he says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. And watch this verse that's right next to the verse on the power of life and death. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. So Solomon in his wisdom with the sovereignty of God connects together a, a proverb about the power of life and death that your mouth actually creates produce and you will eat the produce of your mouth. And it's specifically connected to your marriage and how much you praise you find a wife, you find a good thing, and you receive favor from the Lord. If you're not careful, you will focus on the flaws, and you will speak the negative, and you'll sow seeds into the garden in your life that you're miserable eating the product of your own farming. You're raising your own crop, and it's not good, and it's not favorable, but it's coming out of your own mouth. We can be nagging. We can be complaining. We can focus on the flaw. We can, we can look at behavior. And, and instead of speaking faith into that relationship, we can speak criticism. I remember a time Jennifer and I were actually in a pretty good little argument, and it was a little heated, and, and, and it wasn't going anywhere. And, and, and she said something to me, and I said something to her, and she said something to me, and I stopped and turned around, and I said, I'm so grateful for you. You're such a godly woman, and I love you so much, and I love the gifts of God that are inside of your life. And she got this crazy look in her eyes. She said, are you talking faith over me right now? <laughs> and I said, yeah, baby. The other part wasn't working, and so I thought I'd maybe try something new. And it actually broke the tension, and we laughed, and we made up, and it was this incredible principle of actually instead of saying the thing I feel, I say the thing of faith, and that principle saved our marriage. Saved our marriage. We've had some dark moments in our marriage. We've had some really tough times. But learning the principle of speaking faith into the relationship creates a harvest that will satisfy your stomach in your future. <laughs> 
You'll eat the fruit of your own lips. The Bible talks about when it's concerning prophecy, God's word, God's prophetic word, what God is saying, that prophecy is for edification, exhortation, and comfort. When you speak to your spouse, when you speak about your spouse, when you speak about your partners, when you speak about your children, when you speak about your friends, prophesy, edify. That word edify, it's where we get the word edifice. It means to build up a great structure. You actually have the ability to create formidable, powerful friends and partners and spouses by how you edify, how you build up, and how you create strength and structure. If you don't like how your spouse is behaving, if you don't like how your partner is operating in business, if you don't like how your kids are functioning, maybe change what you say. Scientists, quantum physics and scientists and behavioral scientists are actually saying, neuroscientists are actually saying that you frame your future world with your words. These are people that don't even believe in God. But they say you frame your future world with the words that come out of your mouth. Interesting that God made you in his image and he's a creator and he creates by speaking. When our kids, I, I, I firmly believe that what you allow your children to be like when they're three, what you allow them to get away with when they're three, will torture you when they're 13. So we, we, we edified our children, we spoke life to our children, and all through their growing up years, we would say, you're going to be a sweet teenager. You're not going to be a rebellious teenager. You're going to be the sweetest, most kind, most respectful teenager. That's who you're going to be. That's your nature. Your nature is to be a sweet, kind, loving, respectful. And, and, and guess what? We got some sweet teenagers. They're not perfect. But, but it's something we were very intentional about. Because there's a lot of people that have an attitude about the teenage years, and they literally create their future curse. Be careful what you name your kids. Be careful what you speak over them. Don't name your kids something that means demon in another language. That is a bad move. Big question for today. Are you the problem? And it's so easy to focus on the other person and what they do wrong. I, I, um, I learned years ago, whenever we would be in conflict, that I would, um, that I would go and pray. And I, would, I, would, I, I journal and I pray and, and I, I document my journey with God. It's my number one best spiritual discipline that's absolutely shaped and changed my life forever. And every, every major decision I make in my life is in my journal somewhere. I've prayed about it and I don't move on it until I've heard the Lord on it. Major decisions, business decisions in my journal and I, and I pray about my, my, my family, and I pray about my, my wife. And, and in this specific moment, we were not in an agreement on something, and I was really angry, and I, I, I was just praying, and I was journaling, and I'm writing. And, and I'm, I'm just I'm complaining. I'm literally just venting. I'm getting off my chest. I'm saying everything to God. Better to say it to God than to somebody else. I'm just, I'm just getting it out. And, and, and in my journal, I'm writing, and I, and I wrote, now I'm just going to shut up, and, and Father, just speak to me. And the Lord says to me instantly, I heard it in my spirit, finally. 
I've been waiting for you to shut up for 45 minutes. You're driving me crazy. Joel, you're the problem. You're the one that's quit trying to change your spouse and work on yourself. You have to do this different, and you have to be. And, and it was these types of lessons that God began to teach me that I had to take personal responsibility and be who God had called me to be. Fourth way to ruin a relationship. Build separate lives and put up walls. Jennifer and I are very careful. We don't build separate lives. She, she can have her own interests. I can have my own interests. We have different hobbies, but we never put the hobby above each other. We've watched people that built separate lives and they would go on separate trips and they would have separate relations. And it was like they, were, they, they became over time just ships passing in the night. They let the kid, they put the kids in front of their relationship. We, we, we started early on, early on, I put my foot down. They, they were, no, kids have their own bedroom. They're not sleeping in my bed. That's my bed. My bed with my wife. Kids don't sleep in this bed. If they're sick or there's something happens or whatever, that's cool. But there's no pattern. I'm not going to have kids between kid between kid. And all of a sudden, there's no intimacy. And all of a sudden, there's no connection. And all of a sudden, you wonder why sometimes relationships get to a point where you have absolutely nothing in common because you've let this space go between. And, and you've got these grievances. So you just put up walls and you put other things more important. And all of a sudden, the kids grow up and they go away and you got nothing. So we don't allow that. We were on a trip and a couple years ago, and Jennifer's like, I'm not ready to go home yet. So we called the kids and said, hey, we're going to stay a couple more days. And the kids were like, no, we want you to come home. And we said, well, you want mommy and daddy to stay in love with each other and stay married, right? <laughs> oh, that's some, dirty, that's some dirty manipulation right there. That's, that's, that's next level. Well, yeah, well, then mommy and daddy need to stay on this vacation for two more days because we want to be in love with each other and, and we want to stay married forever. That's better, right? And, and look, I mean, but that's important, guys. It's important because the relationship that Jennifer have, Jennifer and I have is the structure and the foundation for them to launch off of. And if our foundation is cracked and flawed, and, and guess what? Sometimes it has been, but we work on it, and we're not perfect, and our kids, will, they can tell when stuff ain't right in the house. They're not dumb, but they got parents that will repent, and they got parents that will come back and say sorry, and they got parents that will, that will talk with them and help them through stuff, and we're the foundation for the future of their life. It's the most important relationship there is. Proverbs 31, 23 says, her husband is known in the gates, the front of the city, when he sits among the elders of the land. What that means is this is a husband that wasn't a slacker. This is a husband that wasn't a flunky. This is a husband that was a strong leader in the city, had a great reputation. This is a husband that went to work on himself, became the best version of himself for his wife for his children, for his city. Sometimes you get the spouse you deserve. And the best thing you can do is go to work on yourself. And guess what? Other times, other times, it's not your fault at all. And you're a wonderful spouse. You're the selfless one. And, and you got a dud. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. 
and, and I know people that have walked through horrifically ugly divorces that are incredibly painful and it wasn't what they wanted but it's what happened it's what happened and what I've watched is I've watched people that even in the midst of that they go to work on themselves and they focus on becoming the best version of themselves that they possibly can. And they make themselves better and they learn from it. Guys, this all comes down to personal responsibility. Personal responsibility. You got to be the best friend that you can possibly be. The best spouse, the best business partner, the best. It's all about personal responsibility. Constantly looking to find ways to reunify let God heal I heard Joyce Meyer say one time the bigger person does the right thing first sometimes we can be so stubborn and we're sitting there waiting for someone else waiting for that person to come and apologize waiting for that person to come and whatever the bigger person does the right thing first got to take the plank out of our own eye instead of worrying about the speck in somebody else's edify our partner, sow seeds of love, create the harvest that we want for the future. Every single person, every one of us are flawed. But with God's help, we can be a better version of ourselves tomorrow than we are today. But it takes work, it takes responsibility, it takes getting the help we need. I want to encourage you, um, women in this church, to plug into the women's ministry groups and Bible studies and all that. Men, plug into the men's ministry groups and Bible studies. You, you need each other. You need godly friends that will help you, that will, that will speak life to you, that you, can, uh, that you can count on, that you can share with, that you can be transparent with. I, I remember years and years ago, we were in our 20s, and it was my first small group I ever joined as a men's uh, group. All, all of us were in our, our early to mid-20s. We're all career guys and, you know, succeeding in our own businesses and whatever as we saw fit. And it was a 6 a.m. prayer thing. And that's commitment. I showed up to this thing, and, and, and at the time, Jennifer and I were really struggling because I was a bonehead. And, um, and I just opened up, and I didn't know any of these guys from anybody. Didn't know any of them. Just met them. I said, hey, guys, man, I, man, I really need prayer. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling. And I literally, I just, all of my dirty laundry just threw it out. And a lot of people are afraid to do that because you don't want to be judged. But the reality is when you're surrounded by a band of godly brothers or you're surrounded by, by a group of your godly sisters in the church, that you've got people that can handle it and they'll go to battle for you and they'll go to prayer for you and they'll stand strong with you. And I can tell you that some of those same relationships that I forged in my 20s, I'm still friends with those people today. We still have covenant today. We're still there for each other today because we created real relationship that was transparent, that we didn't create facades, but we actually exposed our flaws to each other and asked each other to pray and asked each other to be strong. And I just want to encourage you. And don't, don't continue down a path People are so good at putting on a face. They come to church and they put on this face. And get involved in one of our groups. Get plugged in and find real relationship. You need help with your marriage, man, we're here for you. 
We've got some great mentors we can connect you with. We've got some great coaches and counselors we can, we can refer you to. But just don't quit. Jennifer and I, we've never, ever, ever got a great, one great piece of advice. We never used the D word in our relationship. We never threatened that. It was never an option. It wasn't an option. And so every time we got to an impasse, we would step back and say, well, you know what? We're, we're not getting divorced. We're going to get through this. We're going to work through this. And now after all these years, I, I feel like there's pretty much nothing we can't make it through. Because with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. I just want to encourage you, wherever you find yourself today, you, you, you may be still healing from a divorce. You may be in the middle of a, of, a, of a relationship that's really struggling, or you may be in the best season of your life. Praise God for that. You may be single and, and really struggling with loneliness. But what I can tell you is wherever you find yourself today, God knows exactly where you are, and he loves you. He loves you. He's got a purpose and a plan for you. And if you'll align your life with his, and if you'll obey him, you're going to go through some stuff in your life, but he will get you through it, and things will get better. They will get better. We're going to do this. We're going to just um, kind of flow back into worship, and um, we're just going to open up for prayer. Anybody that needs prayer, we're going to have our prayer partners down front. You need prayer for your marriage. You need prayer for your kids. You need prayer for work. You need prayer for something in your body, anything you need. We just want to, we just want to align with you in prayer. Um, the Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight, two can put ten thousand to flight. That's why the, the power of a partnership is so important because it's a mass multiplier for the power of your prayers. You need anything at all as we worship with this song, just come down and we'll be up front uh, ready to pray for you. God bless you guys. We pray this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks for listening and have a great week.